So we are coming to an end of an 11-month journey through the book of Acts. And this is the very last sermon. Like, cue boys to men, right? Like, this is a sad moment. It's so hard to say goodbye to Acts. A lot of you weren't born. They have no clue what I just said. It's really sad. Look it up, boys to men. Um, it's a big deal, um, early 90s. So, uh, but here we are. And, and we tried to break down this whole thing of Acts, which is a lot. Um, and we talked about, I was saying this to some of the, the volunteers this morning, we really wanted this past year in Acts to be like a level up time, that we would really look at what's happening in the church here and not just go, we got to do the exact same things and to not make it like weird because there's a, listen, you can't live like people lived 2,000 years ago, but you can take elements of what they were trying to do and apply those today. Um, and that's what we've been trying to do of how we how we think about the origins. We talked about the origins of the early church. We talked about how these ingredients that made up the early church, like then pushed this church out organically to the margins of society. And that the early church found that the people coming were those who didn't fit elsewhere. Like church wasn't this place for the, the norm. It was the place of misfit toys. I mean, the, the island of misfit toys. From there, we took it and did a really long six months, broke it up, calling it God speak part one and two. The idea behind it was now that Paul and these people were going out and talking about this Jesus who was risen and this gospel that was good news, they were having to find ways to communicate it that could land, that could be contextualized. And that for us today, we have to understand that this isn't always the norm in here. We try to take our Christian lingo and language and our ways and thoughts and put it out there in a world that's been very abused and hurt and harmed by the church and confused by the church, and we give them messages that, well, if you just show up in these rooms, you'll be okay. That's not how they did it. They had to understand, like, what does it mean to step out and to be with other people? And for the last few weeks, we've been breaking down these last few passages of Acts talking about facing life, facing life about facing our limitations, that we don't got this, that we are powerless, that we have to face these parts of our lives that are so difficult. Paul decided to go back and face his life in Jerusalem. Many of us have to decide to go back and face our lives because you can't outrun your life. You only can face your life. You don't get to move on from your life. You only can build upon your life. So we have to face our limitations. We have to face the religiosity that many of us as cradle Christians in the deep south grew up in. There's a lot of weirdness in church. There's a lot of things we have to be willing to think about and examine and ask, why is it we believe this? Not just because somebody handed it to us, but is this really ours? We have to talk about our privilege, that if you are a privileged person, what does it mean and what do you do with that? Um, and we're coming this morning talking about how we're going to not just take what we said last week of facing our potential and going through hard times, but when you go through those hard times, what does it now mean to face this life we have in front of us together? And so here's where we come, the very end of Acts. And we find is that Paul is sailing to Rome. He's sailing with um, a group of people that he said, I want to appeal to Caesar. He's been falsely accused of something he did not do in Jerusalem, but they're still trying to hold that against him. Um, and he said, you know what? Like, I'm not going to stay in the, I'm not going to stay in this unjust system. The, the governors 
were like wanted these uh, Sadducees of the religious leaders kind of in their pocket for votes. And so they're keeping Paul in prison longer. It's just a real big mess. And Paul finally is like, you know what? I'm done with this. And I'm going to take this privileged side of my life, which is that I'm Roman. And I'm going to appeal to Caesar because this isn't right and this isn't okay. And so Paul sets sail to Rome. And he has a few friends with him, we know. There's some other prisoners. There's a centurion named Julius, and centurions were very powerful people who at least had a regiment of 100 people that answered to him. And we also know there's like a hodgepodge of sailors that are like steering the ship and trying to get them along the coastlines in the Adriatic all the way up to Rome. And we find that they hit this really difficult wind and storm. It's a, it's a hurricane-type storm called the Northeaster, which is really cool and sounds really intimidating, the Northeaster. So the Northeaster is coming at them, and, and they're having to navigate through these tumultuous waters because they could die. And Paul gets a word from the Lord and says to take heart, which is beautiful. We talked about that last week, to take heart, to be encouraged, to know that God is with you. And so as they're sailing there, we find that Paul is wrestling with all these things that are ahead of him and wondering, can he make it? Can he do this with all these things coming against him? And it kind of ties back to last week because prisons and storms in life are always inevitable. Whether you're unjustly in prison for two years or where you find yourself in a storm, those things are inevitable. And a lot of times, we spend our lives trying to set it up where we never have to experience those prisons and storms, which is really another form of control and hypervigilance. I want you to know something. You are going to be in a prison at some point in time, and you're going to find yourself in storms. I know that's not the message you want to hear on a Sunday when it's so nice outside. But if you keep trying to avoid that, you'll never get to the other side of that. And you'll just keep recreating the patterns in your life over and over again that keep dictating why you actually may need some prison time to actually deal and face with what is your life. You may actually have some storms that you need to walk through and really see that God is with you in the midst of it. Now, no one gets a pass, and you're like, yeah, gee, thanks, Robin. Okay, don't worry. The sermon gets better. But we all have to kind of face these storms in our lives. But we're here at this moment in this sermon, and we called it this idea, we called it facing life together, because this group has to face a lot together, a group that was just kind of put together. And I want to show you something, see if you pick up on some stuff. I just took out, there's a pattern that's happening here in chapter 27, that's why I want to read all of that. And I'm just going to go through line by line here, and I want you to tell me what you pick up on from these um, excerpts in chapter 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, we boarded a ship, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. From there, we put out to sea again. The winds were against us. We landed at Myra in Lycia. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. We moved along the coast with difficulty. The ship was caught by the storm, so we gave to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Calda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. 
we took such a violent battering from the storm, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Do not be, do not be afraid, Paul. God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Together, there were 276 of us on board. Now, if, there's probably a couple of things you pick up there. One would be what I've put in bold. We. There's a lot of we's happening in those verses. A lot of we's happening in this chapter. Um, and that this we, like, there's no eyes in here. There's just lots of we's. There's no, like, I did this and I had to figure this out. It's just lots of we's. And we know that Luke travels with Paul throughout his journeys, but also there are these pagans, right? These people who don't line up to Jewish ritual and law. And they're on the ship too. Like they're all on there together. They're all having to figure this out together. And the second thing is that this group faces some really hard times. And, you know, it's really interesting. If you've been through crisis and you have a hard time coming up, or even like if you've been on a trip overseas, maybe, maybe it was with a church or maybe it was with something else, you probably noticed something, that ultimately you're not as interested if they're interested in the same things you're interested in. You're just kind of like, are you in this with me because we're going to another country? You're like, are we going to go through this crisis together because this is really hard? It becomes less interesting to be interested in the same affinities when you're going through hard times. This is why people who go through these, these moments of hard times together, they find that they bond with people they never thought they would have. It's really beautiful. But the two things, I have two things I want us to really think about from this. And I've got to, I put it up here, and so I'll read it to you. And if you're taking notes, you can take note on this. The two things I think that we need to hear this morning, and the first is this. Your I can't make it without this we. Your I can't make it without this we. And let me kind of just try to explain that and break it down. I grew up as an only child to a single parent um, out in the middle of the country on 60 acres of land, all right? Um, like, if there was anyone who knew loneliness and also knew just kind of how to do things on their own, it was me. Like, how many, how many um, kids, like, only child in the family? Just curious. We got a few. We got a few there, right? Um, anybody grew up even with a single parent? Yeah? A few there, a couple there. So here's the thing. You probably pick up on this. Like, if, if you grew up only child, single parent, that makes sense. You're like, oh, of course. But here's the thing. Um, I grew up lonely, and I grew up kind of do things on my own, though, not just because of that. Because there's a lot of you, if not most of you, if not nearly all of us, who also learn maybe to do things on your own. Just because you grew up in a family doesn't mean that you were always felt like you were a part of something. That is very easy and natural, normal, impulsive for us to want to do things on our own, to go figure it out, to go to a cave. We'll go in that cave, learn some moves, come out of the cave, and like Mr. Miyagi the world, right? Like that's what we think we can pull off if we try hard enough. And I think part of it is because it's kind of in the water. Like culturally speaking, culturally speaking, we are a country that, that celebrates 
admires, writes books around, and venerates the person, the individual who figures out how to break the code to this world, rises up from the ashes, pulls himself by the, up by the bootstraps, and figures it out. They go make their money, right? They go kill it in life, and we go, wow, that's a person to really admire. So we naturally want to celebrate those kind of people even. Because we think like that's what it's meant to look like in life. I'm meant to be able to pull this out on my own. I is strength, but we is weakness. Like I is a something like, look what I've done. Look what I figured out. I finally got there. Look at my moves. We though is maybe like you don't have all the moves down and someone else does. You're kind of just tagging along. Like we is like, needy. And we don't like needy. We don't like having to be in need. And so what happens is because of all these things, we've even turned our faith into an I kind of faith. So we have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. We have a Jesus is my BFF stuff. We have a, I'm having my personal devotion in prayer life. Just when you want to build it up. And those things aren't wrong. Trust me, they're not wrong. But those things could be misguided. Because like me and Jesus, we got our own thing going and we don't need nobody else. That's like an old like song I heard growing up. I don't know if that's a real song. Somebody just sang it to me over and over again. So we find, though, that we ultimately don't know what to do with the we because we're used to eyes. But here's what's interesting. Even the Bible gets this. The Bible even starts with we. So we'll show it. Genesis 1, 26. Let us make mankind in our image. Let us, even the Trinity, even the three in one, let us make mankind in our image, our collective image here. And it ends with Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, it's so easy to want to stay in our individual faith because, well, you don't feel like you're going to be called out as much. You don't feel like you're going to be challenged as much. It's scary because here's the thing. Here's why it's scary for a lot of us. The best community a lot of us have ever had are something called accountability groups. And this is one of my soapboxes. I don't like accountability groups. Those are shame groups. Those are groups you show up in, and everybody talks about how their week went, you know, like did they kill it or not this week with who they looked at or didn't look at, and then you either feel better or below those people by the time you're done meeting with them. So if you feel lots of shame when you're done meeting, you decide, I will not open up next time and do that, right? And so therefore, it's just easier if I to kind of keep my faith to myself. Not every accountability group is that way, but still, yes, they are. Almost every accountability group is that way. 
that we need more than just in a sense like, hey, I'm keeping you accountable in the sense that I'm, I really killed it this week. Did you, you know? No, we actually need people to know that they're with us. Because the Bible ends with like lots of tears being cried together. And then it takes a God so big, a Christ so loving to wipe away those tears. Vulnerability, which is even the backbone of what we're trying to do with story groups in this church. That you get to show up and be present and be there and not manage your image. But it's scary because, listen, ultimately the Bible is a book, a collection of stories of people who are learning to bring their eyes back to wheeze and do life together. Let's let you look at that for a second. The Bible is a book, a collection of stories of people who are learning to bring their eyes back to wheeze and do life together. Your faith isn't a I and then maybe one day us. The Bible starts with we, it goes to a I, and then it comes back to an us. It's the rhythm of Scripture. That it always starts with a God who is we, including us in, a person who's trying to figure out life, which is hard, and then being brought back into the fold of us. So the first thing is simply, your eye can't make it without this we. You actually need this room if you're here. Which leads us to the second thing. This we is made up of people you would have never chosen. Yeah, uh, I was right. Thank you. That's appropriate. <laughs> that this we is made up of people you would have never chosen. So who makes, up, who makes up their we? Let's just think about it. We have Paul. We also have somebody witnessing Paul's life, traveling with Paul. That's Luke. We also have like people that are part of this posse along the way, who jump in and out along the way, that are with Paul and Luke. We also have people that are brought in as well who really kind of maybe don't belong in the same ways, like the same exact beliefs as maybe like, like I imagine Paul and Luke have a really great handshake, right? There's like something they do with the hands. It's probably a fist bump. Maybe they grab four. I don't know what they're doing, but something works for them. And there's other people who try to come in that don't get that, but they're still a part of the group because they're always making more room for people. Even people who are sailors on a boat, even people who are pagan, who don't see it the same way religiously, but they're making room. So what we find is there are people like Paul, and then there are people not like Paul, but all of them are having to face these storms together. All of them are having to face life together, which leads me to us here, like why we're talking about this as a church this church has faced a lot in the last two plus years. It's faced a lot in the last two plus years. Um, there are a lot of people who have left, and they have felt it was too hard. They were too challenged, and I think that could be fair. Um, many have tried to say it's because the church has changed, which it has, and others have said it's because some things have shifted theologically, which it has. Uh, we've made decisions to say, like, hey, we're going to go from complementarian to egalitarian, and women and men lead together. We've made changes where in our partnership it's not 
um, a lots and lots and pages of doctrines of what you believe. We go, here's the Apostles' Creed. Can you do the Apostles' Creed? Great. Now, are you willing to buy into the vision and mission of this church and do life together? That's hard. I get it. But here's what I also think is part of the undercurrent of why, these, of why it can be so difficult. Because in this church, we have straight people and LGBTQI people. In this church, we have people of privilege and we have people of color. In this church, we have Democrats and Republicans. In this church, we have Calvinists and Arminians. In this church, we have people who know what that means and people who don't care what that means. We have people who still have faith and people who have lost their faith. We have people who are confident in a connection with God and people who wonder if God is still with them. And we have people who are social justice warriors and people who are scared of social justice warriors. They're all here. We're all here. It's hard. I get it. And it feels like that if you're in a space, you know, when you grow up in a really codependent family um, or codependent world, the belief is whatever someone else is doing, you have to take that on. Otherwise, they won't be okay with you, right? So if I don't get in line with this person, I will be abandoned. I want you to hear me say this before I go any further. It's okay that you don't believe the same thing as me or any other pastor here. It's okay that you have different views. It's okay that you're really strong with those views. But what health looks like is when we get to have our different views and not abandon each other, but keep walking into things together. Because everybody here is trying their best to follow Jesus with what they've been given. And it's really important we keep that in mind. There's a real generous spirit amongst us here. Because here's the deal. We're all here trying to do this, live in the space together. But it's really, 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 really hard. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, a lot of you know who he was. He was a, a German theologian who lived um, and died uh, during World War II, um, was vehemently against the ways of Hitler, right? and therefore he died in prison. And he wrote this really great book called uh, Life Together. And there's just a longer excerpt in here I want to read to you. It's in your bulletins. God did not make this person as I would have made him. He did not give him to me as a brother for me to be, for me to dominate and control but in order that I might find above him the creator. I love that. Now the other person in the freedom with which he was created becomes the occasion of joy, whereas before he was only a nuisance and an affliction. God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me, that is, in my image. Rather, in his very freedom, from me, God made this person in his image. I can never know beforehand how God's image should appear in others. That image always manifests a completely new and unique form that comes solely from God's free and sovereign creation. To me, the sight may seem strange, even ungodly, but God creates every man in the likeness of his son, the crucified. After all, even that image certainly looks strange and ungodly 
to me before I grasped it. Studies uh, within genome and DNA studies share, tell us that humans, humanity, their DNA is 99.5% the same. Just take a second to think about that. Like, look to your left. Go ahead and do it. No, you don't like doing this. Look to your left. Look to your right. <laughs> look at that person. Make eye contact with someone. I want you to understand something. Some of you who are married, you're like, this is too weird, Robin. All right, listen to me. <laughs> you are 99.5% the same as that person sitting beside you. I know. The thing is, it's the 0.5% that makes us different. And here's what's interesting about this. We spend so much time trying to figure out that 0.5% that we miss the 99.5%. We spend so much time sizing up each other about how we see life or don't see life or what we believe or don't believe that we miss the humanity in the other person, the thing that actually makes us the same. I want you to hear me say this. This is what we're trying to do here. We just want you to be aware of that 99.5%. That's all. That there's sure the 0.5% and those things really matter. But when you got a people that you share so much with who are also trying to like follow Jesus, who are also trying to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God, here's what you then get to interact with. The possibility for real connection, real communion, and even real change. And listen, friends, isn't that what we want? Aren't we looking for real connection and real change? And yeah, it's difficult when someone's so different from you, but yet they're not. And I feel like within our churches today, we have been able to give a message that says, stay away from the other, instead of learning to walk across the aisle and be with the other. That if that other is any different from you, they'll taint your views of God. Instead of going, well, maybe actually they're going to help strengthen my views of God. Because it's not cultural and theological homogeny that we need to transform more to the likeness of God. Which, by the way, this likeness of God is a trinity. This trinity is made of three, and they're very different. And yet, in their differences, they actually find a rhythm together to have more evolving love and more evolving care and create out of that. That's your God. And in turn, then God creates out of that, that in our differences, just like the Trinity, we can find enduring, long-lasting transformation. Listen, I've, I've lived a lot of my life trying to curate my inner group. I spent a lot of time in life trying to curate the kind of people I really wanted to interact with. Like there are these people, then they're really the ones I want to interact with. And that's fine. You can do that. It's really normal, and it's okay. It's actually kind of healthy as well. I just want you to know something. That will not bring the enduring transformation, though, that you long for your life. It can't. Life isn't about finding ride-or-die people. Life is about finding people and being with people that even though you're different, you're willing still to see each other and be with each other because 
Although those relationships were endearing, they were not enduring, and although those relationships were safe, they were not transformative. There's something about me having to rub up against and interact with people who are different that actually makes me more of the likeness of Christ. Just like the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are interacting with each other and giving continual love. So this is the call for us today. This is what Acts was trying to lead us to. Like, can we step into more together? Can we go face more of life together? Do you want that? Do you want people who are willing to be with you regardless of your, your race or creed or leanings or views or orientation, whatever it may be? How beautiful would that be if we can learn to do those things? And this isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. I just want you to know we're actually trying to do that here, which means this is why, like, our best church growth strategy at the moment are you having babies, so keep having babies. <laughs> because this is a popular opinion, and that's okay. It's okay that churches aren't like this. It doesn't make us better or us worse. It just means that this is what we have to do. This is what God's put on our heart. And so here's how I want to end it. Every week, we take communion. You come forward, body and blood of Christ. But this week, I want to do something just a little bit different. So for any introvert, get ready to be really uncomfortable. Um, I want you to take a second, and I just want you to look around to three, like make eye contact with three to five people. It could be like in your row. It could be people behind you, in front of you. But kind of find who those people are going to be around you, all right? If you just had a fight this morning as a couple, this is going to be really hard for you, so you can look away to someone else if you want. But um, I want you to turn to a few people around you. Make that eye contact of three to five people. I'm not joking. Make your eye contact to three to five people. Thank you. Yes. I think I joke with this stuff. Good. Find those people. It could be those two rows of, that are really sparse, whatever it may be. And here's what I want you to do, okay? Like, you've had ocular confirmation, okay? And I really want to make sure that even, like, if we're on the back rows, you don't kind of get let. So, like, I want you to be really conscientious. And what you're going to do is this. You're going to come forward. You're going to dip your bread into the wine or juice. You can go back to your seat, and then with those three to five people, one of you is just going to pray, and then you're going to take communion together. That's it. And then I want you to get each other's names. And so if you're sitting with a lot of safe people that you're used to, go have communion with someone that you don't know. If there's someone that you've wanted to stay away from in here, go track them down. Say, can I join you at this moment and have communion together? But let this right here actually be the bonding agent. That we have a Christ who not just lived, but died and resurrected so that we in turn could know that this God is with us to face life. And the more times we do that together, the more we get to feel and sense his presence that he is with us in the midst of all things. So I'm gonna pray and ask the band come up and then we'll get going. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that we get to face life together and that we're not all the same, and that's okay. And yet, we have so much in common. And I pray that as we now go before the table, we would not make this into a personal experience, but this would be something corporate. 
that all of us standing together side by side are facing things that are difficult, but knowing that we're not alone. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Trinity, for what you've modeled for us. We love you. Amen.